It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You know what I want. <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. No, I want to Hey, that was really, really bad. That was a ref show. That was terrible. Uh, 132 to 131, the Lakers defeat the Raptors in what was, I think, like a really interesting game from a schematics point of view, a really interesting game and in how the Raptors tried to tackle a, a constant mismatch in this game in Anthony Davis and a hill they tried to get over top and very nearly did. And I think they were undone largely by refereeing and i don't want to i have a quote i'll read i'll i'll read from fred van vliet but i'll let the live stream go for a minute or two because i think there's cursing in it which would demonetize everything but i'll say this uh, the flop by anthony davis by the letter of the law it's probably going to be called a moving screen in the last two minute report there's also like ticky tack stuff that the Lakers benefited from. At one point in that fourth quarter, though, the Lakers were 19 free throws to the Raptors, too. The big problem with this is that basically every single play that happens on an NBA court, whether it's the primary action on ball or whether it's something off ball, there's going to be a foul. There's going to be something that happens. There's going to be awkward incidental contact that you could call a foul. It is up to the referees to not just call the letter of the law, but to take the flow of the game, the pacing of the game, and the physicality of the game into consideration and to try and even-handedly call the game, knowing that there's a foul all the time, knowing which ones you have to let go, knowing which ones happen late in games, and knowing which ones are going to air out. Like, And that's the thing, too, is like sometimes refs, you can tell they're calling a safe game, the safe game, because they know if they go to the last two-minute report, that's good. you could because guys touch each other on the court. They run into each other. There's contact, all that kind of stuff. And they say like 96% of the time, when an, or 96 or 98% of the time, when an NBA ref blows the whistle, they are correct. That's totally true. Because if you blow the whistle, guys are running into each other, crashing into each other. But the thing is, you could blow the whistle almost every play. You have to even-handedly allow physicality to emerge in this beautiful game where bodies collide and players, they compete against one another in a confined area, and they're some of the best athletes in the world. You just, that's how it is. It's tough when it doesn't go the way you want it to IQ getting, you know, the foul, I get it. Offensive foul. I typically have a problem with that. Cause like I play basketball, I played a decent level of basketball. Everybody I know who plays a decent level of basketball and up, you understand that like on that, on that Euro, on that sweep through that step through, 
you bring the ball up because you don't like unless you're doing the the quick like sweep through at the bottom like James Harden or Jalen Brunson, you're gonna bring it up here. If I'm the defender and I catch a bow in pickup, Trey gets me all the time, man. There's a height difference. I say I'm not supposed to be defending with my face first. I an offensive foul, sure. Calling that a flagrant to me was so insane. It makes no sense to me, right? Like, it's it's just nonsensical. And Nesta says, what happened to being taught to play elbows out? There's, like, some of this stuff that is ingrained into people's body language, into the aesthetics of how they operate and move around the court. And Jacob Tarasov says, Trey swinging bows and pickup. You're certainly correct, he does. He's a big Eurostep guy, big step-through guy. The thing is... Ben Taylor and that crew, I think, did this game a significant disservice. And I'm going to go to the Fred Van Vliet quote on it. I won't be taking a fine. But around this time last year, Fred Van Vliet was dismayed at Ben Taylor's refereeing. And I think he encapsulates kind of the problem. Quote, I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought Ben Taylor was effing terrible tonight. On most nights out of the three, there's one or two that eff the game up. Most of the refs are trying hard. I like a lot of the refs. They're pretty fair. They communicate well. And then you got the other ones that just want to be a dick and just F the game up. Nobody's coming to see that shit. They come to see the players. You have a game with Anthony Davis and LeBron James trying to figure out how to like outskirt this Raptors defense that's flashing and stunting everywhere, fronting in the post, throwing guys in the lane to dissuade a lot of this stuff. And then... You have on the other side, Pascal Siakam scores like, what, 13 or 15 points in like the blink of an eye, all in clutch time, going crazy. Scotty Barnes is like Euro-stepping, taking contact, dunking guys into the rim, and there's like fantastic offense being played on both sides. You have Gary Trent Jr. gunning late. You have this beautiful melding of like basketball talent, Staples Center or Crypto.com, whatever the hell they call it. You're getting that. And you taint the game when you legislate the hell out of every play. And it's even worse, obviously, when that legislation bears out on one side, one team being like heavily favored. Did they set out to do it? I would never say such a thing. But it's really disappointing that this is the outcome of a game like that. There was great basketball in this one, man. Fantastic basketball. I just... So disappointing when a game goes that way. I cover this game because I love this game. I play this game all the time because I love this game. And people watch because they love the game. Nobody loves what Ben Taylor did. I Like even Raptors, there's been some games that the Raptors have been on the good side of officiating, right? And you go like, holy smokes. Like, I don't know about that. Like, that's a really friendly call to the Raptors. I bet Lakers fans watching that game were like, oh, geez, that's kind of tough. We got about seven calls in a row that maybe are not so fair. Ticky-tack. To think that Scotty Barnes banged a game-tying triple with R.J. Barrett behind the back, trying to squeeze middle, dumps it off, 24 seconds left. These are huge shots, and you take that away, man. The Raptors make this incredible climb to get back into this game, and what is the outcome? Like, come on now. Footy Fits donates $10. Thank you very much. Says, love the channel, man. Shout out from Montreal. 
I'm going to visit my friend Josh in Montreal soon. That's the same Josh you guys see on the stream every once in a while, the professional scout. Um, Michael Benham says Ben Taylor is trending on Twitter. That doesn't surprise me. Tremaine Grant says the last two-minute report is going to be great. I wonder, I, I do wonder what it's going to say because, like, again, uh, a lot of those they're going to say by the letter of the law were fouls. It's kind of like the a good ref control doesn't call to the letter of the law. A good ref calls the game as it's meant to be called. And there's like an art to it. And refs will tell you that, you know, Monty McCutcheon will say that I'm sure in the, you know, you give them the, the truth serum and that'll kind of come out, but there's going to be calls that they're like, yep, the refs got it right. You know, Keir Doyle says, I bet the last two minute report says all correct, except Christie and one miss. I do wonder, but, it's kind of the same thing as like early in the game, what happens? A rebound goes up, a guy climbs over the back and hits a guy's arm into the ball. The ball goes out. Instead of calling a foul, because it's just bodies colliding, they call it out on the guy who fouled. You move the game along, you don't call a foul, you let the game breathe. It's the change of possession both ways, right? And it's because it's not like, terrible it's not mean it's just guys hustling for the ball if you called it by the letter of the law it's a foul and you can choose to apply your refereeing that way but you shouldn't and i really hated the way that the refs applied their whistle in this game especially late the flow of the game ruined the pacing of the game ruined the integrity who's to say ah <sighs> Quinn Everett says, first time ever tuning into a live post-game show. Hello, Raptors fans. Sorry you got hosed tonight, but at least Scotty really is that good. Scotty really is that good. Um, <laughs> we have a $10 donation from Nabil, who says, I have information for the league office regarding Ben Taylor's whereabouts on January 6, 2021. Storming the Capitol. My goodness, Ben, I haven't seen you since the Capitol riots. Oh, that's funny. Um, James says we were the better team. Should have won, but what else can we do? Yeah, it's about 10 minutes of ref talk. I'm ready to let it breathe. I'm ready to talk some basketball. If you guys don't want to hear basketball, I think Darko's talking. I, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you want to want to go elsewhere. But we're going to start in the first quarter where Anthony Davis scored like 15 points in like six minutes. The Raptors coming into this game, this was what everyone talked about, was Anthony Davis is a tremendous force. I think he's he's top five in paint scoring in the NBA. I believe he's third. He is one of the best rollers in the NBA. He's no slouch when it comes to posting up, and he shapes to the ball tremendously well. He knows how to maintain passing angles. His catch radius is absurd. His vertical spacing is absurd. He can go and get stuff. He can like keep the play alive on a pivot, finish with a dunk. And that's, he's great. And the Raptors really didn't know. In the middle of the game, I think they found a decent pacing for how they, or pacing, spacing, sorry, for how they really wanted to guard AD. And I think it worked for a little while. They were kind of like zoning him up plus one, seeing if they can really help move the ball elsewhere and recovering, leave him on the weak side and always have somebody tagging in case he wants to go up there and catch a lob or something like that. But early on, the Raptors are gambling, like rotating to the ball, shaping to the ball, moving off of him. And 
he's he's finding himself open. Everyone is saying Darko just went crazy. I good for him, man, because you can't as a coach of a team, you and he's probably not paying that fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, I don't know what he said. I'm not gonna watch it live or anything like that. But um, this this was a game where Darko, you want to stand up for your guys. You want to have some cachet in the locker room. You want these guys to feel heard. You want them to feel like you have their back, not just the guy who is like a good guy in the locker room and is nice and has all this kind of stuff, but a guy who goes to war and says like, hey, man, this I think we got hosed. Yeah, that's what you do as a coach. Dynasis says shut up, raps are trash, just cope harder. Listen, man, I keep saying this to people. I don't know what you guys do after a win. Come in here and try and revel in like Raptors tears. I've never won anything in my life and wanted to hang out in the losing side. Never, ever. Like never, ever in my life. That is such an odd thing to me. You're just like someone who like just steeps themselves in negativity. It's crazy to me. You know, like enjoy things instead of like negativity. I'll never understand it. Um, Confuses me. As someone who likes to, you know, I guess not do that kind of stuff. But cope, I suppose. Um, everyone's talking about Darko. Here's the thing. The Raptors. What was the the crux of how they achieved things tonight? I think player movement. I think great decision making. And I think a little bit of, like, flash in the pan defense at times. Thad Young, in the middle of that flash in the pan, was like, somehow found his way to 10 points, four assists, three steals, five rebounds. How he managed that, like those numbers don't make that much sense to me. Like I know he's like poking away and he's doing like a bunch of stuff on the inside. Like he's a heady player. There's stuff that's happening on the inside. Swipe here. He hides behind the guy who's flashing to the, like above the break and he gets out and chases the ball and gets like, you know, a really fantastic, um, a really fantastic breakaway layup, like doing an OG Ananobi impression. Yeah. He found his way in this game, just as like he was a plus seven, he, getting double digits in points. I was super impressed with he uh, the assists. I didn't find like super, super impressive or anything like that. But yeah, DJ degree says free throws were 13 to 36 G's and we had 68 points in the paint. They went to work, man. I was wondering because early in the game, I think both the Raptors and the Lakers, their approach defensively was they were stunting a lot to the ball to try and get guys to be dissuaded from drives to the rim. But you wondered if there was a lot of conviction in those stunts. And Anthony Davis on the one end really made sure that like the Raptors had to meet the moment. And then on the other end, you know, you see RJ Barrett like punching gaps, getting in there. 23 points on 13 shots. He's been sublime since becoming a Raptor. Pascal, obviously, he finishes with 25. Scotty, especially late in the game, like those muscular bullfrog little dribble hops into the lane, push shot finishes over guys. He was awesome. Really fantastic. Quickly, you know, he did like half of his damage or more from beyond the arc, but he got into like, he had a little stutter rip, got past, I think it was Cam Reddish. I can't remember exactly. Stutter rip high finish off the glass. Like the guys were punching into the paint and getting there. They did a good job of testing that Lakers defense saying like, are you rotating all the way over? 
Are you doing it with conviction? Is this what you want to be doing right now? And to their credit on the other side, I think LeBron and AD did a really, really impressive job. The Raptors did a really good job in this game of forcing the ball elsewhere. Like a lot of really, really, a lot of really, really impressive stretches of play. A lot of really, really impressive defensive stretches of play, even in a game where you allow 132. Like, yeah. We have a quote from those guys. Puts it, Darko, quote, they had to win tonight. If that is the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win, end quote. Yeah, that's, uh, it's hard to watch that game and feel like there's not like, if not a predetermined outcome, a hope from the, let's say, powers that be, right, um, to motivate a certain outcome. Um, Guru Shisha says, sorry, Samson, your post game is overshadowed by Darko's anger. I got to tell you, I'll never be more compelling than an NBA coach going on, going off on the referees. That's, uh, that's not going to hurt my feelings at all. Um, and, and like, honestly, again, most people listen to this after the game. So to all the people listening on the podcast, hello, I hope you've enjoyed the rant so far, man. Uh, let's focus in on Scotty. I think Scotty had a lot of trouble defensively in some respects, like guarding LeBron. I think he had a lot of tough possessions. I think as far as like guarding AD, he was overmatched. Everybody was overmatched. Like even, you know, AD, the one that Pascal actually like did foul him on was that they ran a a play, AD and LeBron, pick and roll late. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get Pascal or they're trying to get a switch or an edge or whatever. Pascal switches on to... AD, AD slipping to the rim, gets it, bullies Pascal under there, goes up, gets fouled. Like, he's tough to deal with, and nobody had an easy time. Jante, when he had help, I thought, like, threw a couple good looks at AD. And then, but then, like, the rotational stuff, I didn't like that much from Jante tonight. And then Thad, I thought, couldn't really stand a chance against AD with the help, but in his rotational stuff was pretty sharp. I thought we got both sides of the defensive coin between those two. It's just that he found his way to more impact offensively than Jante did. The Raptors were in a tough spot trying to solve the AD thing, and they never really solved it. Um, yeah. Uh, Adamu says, or Adam Yu says, LeBron showed Scotty how to do the turn the corner and burn to the basket. He just fumbled the reverse. Yeah, I think Scotty had a lot of like really, really impressive drives in this game. And I think that there was a mix of like getting all the way there. Jeez, that dunk on Christie is just, it's such a great encapsulation of why Scotty is such a, like a tremendous downhill force, right? Like he drives, he stays square, but still stays explosive, still stays strong, takes like the, like flips the shoulder, not leaning in, not, not an offensive foul, but he like, you just extend the shoulder like this, boom, gets a guy off him lands back on that plant foot, goes straight up, the arms extend forever. Christie's trying to meet him, meet him, meet him. He just never gets there, right? He's just never able to do it. And man, he dunked him into the rim, kind of like he did on against Sohan. Uh he's done he's also had that move, that exact same dunk he's had on Kevin Durant as well, who isn't like obviously the thickest guy to move around, but it's it's like man he, he is such a force going downhill. And I think in this game, he had bouts 
of like passiveness and I, you know you see people comment about it during the game and he's trying to like find the pacing especially early on in the game he's like am i a shooter right now what am i trying to do am i punching gaps my live dribble how dangerous is it right now what am i trying to create a couple of the threes that pascal hit late in the game right who created them who collapsed the corner who hit it out there scotty did with a live dribble he's a really unique player in that like he's so dangerous going to his left despite being right-handed and especially for a guy who finishes right-handed all the time but he is really confident and composed coming downhill with a left-handed dribble he collapses the left side of the paint guess what pascal hits an easy three it's always trying to manage the game what does he want to do he can like he's added a jump shot at this point he can do so many different things and in this game i thought that he was able to input himself especially in that fourth quarter really really impressively rr says scotty pascal two-man game is automatic they can do stuff together like certainly they can find a lot of stuff to work on and there's like most of it involves physicality not quickness not like a ton of skill it's just those guys overwhelming their checks and then sure you can score within skill in that but like these guys there's there's a ton of stuff i talked about this you know the last podcast episode um a lot of their stuff can be two-man game off ball and on ball and they can kind of toggle that stuff scotty i was really impressed pascal was like pretty passive in this game it wasn't his right he he with a live dribble is more attacking like in a quick straight line he's gonna pick up his dribble to beat his guy he wants to get past the hip and then he wants to get like beat the guy to the glass that is how he, he achieves it whereas scotty will like keep a guy on his hip and take a guy all the way to the rim and then finish over top different approaches both some of the better drivers in the nba pascal has been for like years and years and years but pascal coming on at the end i thought was like incredible like he hits the three at the end we hit three threes at the end of the game two from the the same corner one you know the shot that had them losing by one at the very end of it but my goodness you know and and that 45 cut two finish at the bucket left-handed layup he did it all in really short order and man the raptors if they weren't getting jobbed by the whistle in this game i think we could have had a really fun outcome where pascal and scotty just like burn them up just go crazy at the end of the game like what a display of scoring from the two of them like pascal doing with a tremendous amount of finesse scotty doing it with a tremendous amount of power and both those guys they're just so impressive joseph cassidy says scotty's crazy off-balance floater hook some fun plays yeah in scotty's first season he shot you know from the start of the season until march he shot 57 percent on his contested hook shots really really impressive and that was something that um sis sports info solutions was tracking it's not a number you typically get from anywhere else and as someone who if anybody in here is unfamiliar with my work i've tracked all of scotty's possessions through the first two seasons and i roll a bunch of unique analytics and i roll a bunch of unique numbers and one of them is that scotty is one of the best in his second season i calculated like he's shooting over 55 percent on contested hook shots still a lot of those come push shots hook shots whatever in clutch time because he gets to the soft spot in the floor and he just makes it rain from there he has tremendous touch he can lob it he can throw a fastball in there he's really really impressive it's uh it's like really impressive scoring coco says samson spectrum analytics that's right 
uh, it would have been it would have been cool for that to be the outcome of the game. But the outcome of the game, obviously, is that the Lakers knew what advantages they wanted to press. They pressed them to the tune of a whole bunch of free throws, some fouls, and they closed out the game. It's uh, it's tough. Um, yeah, I. This game is a tough one because I know everybody wants to hear completely about the refs. And I feel like, you know, 12 minutes on them was just enough. And the rest is basketball. Emmanuel, quickly, can I can I diagram a play for everybody? I don't actually know the name of this play, although it is a triangle concept for anybody who wants to know. Uh, but I'll have to ask the players or Darko when I get a chance. I'm obviously not on uh, the road with everybody, but let's uh, let's diagram a play since those are pretty fun. Okay, this one resulted in an Emmanuel quickly triple, and I really liked it because there were a few different uh, a few different uh, options to go through. Okay, you guys can still hear me. Here we go. IQ triple. All right. If I remember correctly, starts off with Dennis bringing the ball up the floor. Right. This is how it's going. Pascal comes from the corner to set a flex screen for Thad. Thad comes over here into a pinch post action. That means that he has a post up with nobody in any of this area, right? Dennis comes over here at the same time. RJ comes off of Pascal, who is now setting a screen right here after he set the screen for Thad. Pascal sets that screen. RJ, back door, right? Okay, there he is. Thad can make that passing read to there if he's available coming off that screen. But Dennis coming over at the same time to set this screen for IQ coming over here means that this area is heavily contested by the Lakers defense. This means that the Lakers have to commit two to either the down screen or the pin down. They commit two to here. IQ comes clear over top to right here. Thad makes an easy pass to him right here. He bangs a triple. This is triangle concept. This is a great play. Multiple options at once that the Defense has to contend with, and Emmanuel quickly, certainly a hell of a shooter. You can build a lot of the packages out of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's what it is. Sagan Steven says, come on, you won't even talk about how the refs gave this game to the Lakers. You should do a podcast about the Lakers. You guys come into a podcast that's been going for 26 minutes and you just assume that I haven't talked about something? Why would you do this? It's so rude. Do you want me like this is a live thing, guys? You want me to just be on a replay? Repeat the same ref points? What are we doing? Come on now. You, you like you gotta give people a little bit more faith than that, I think. That's uh my interpretation of it. Um Phoenix Plays E says, Coach Samson back at it. Draw me something with um with horns involved. I was paying attention to something in this game for you, Phoenix Plays E, because you had mentioned on the live pod I did with Trey that Pascal was kind of like a an Anthony Davis stopper. And while we didn't get many attempt like many looks at it in this game, I think he only had four possessions where he was like the guy. I think that AD scored on two of them. I think that uh maybe he isn't anymore, but I know what you mean. Like Pascal has had success in the past. And so that's uh that's something. Uh yeah. <sighs> it's a tough game, man. I hope everybody liked the little diagram and I hope the audio listeners 
since I can't say the name of it because I don't know the name of it, it's out of a triangle concept. It's a back screen for RJ and a pin down for Emmanuel quickly at the same time with a pinch post read from Thad Young. If those words mean anything to you, good. I'm I'm glad. Um, yeah. I think the Raptors did a lot of great stuff in this game. Um, P says, yo, when's your live event again? There will be a live pre-trade deadline podcast on February 6th. We haven't announced anything officially yet, but that's when it'll be, and it'll be at Rivley downtown. Just as a heads up, the last time we did this, tickets sold out, and so I think it's like 100 people in that room or something like that. So when we do announce it, get the tickets early if you can. All good. Okay. Um, Okay. Let's see here. Everyone's saying I need a small whiteboard. I do. Yeah. Phoenix Blazy asked, how far do I think this IQ screening stuff can go? They use them a lot. It, like, it makes sense, though, right? Obviously, the Raptors have Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam who allow them to target mismatches almost more than any other team in the NBA, especially from the wing or the forward spot. Like, even LeBron at this point... He, he's not as able to target a mismatch as Anthony Davis is. LeBron at this point is probably not as able to target a mismatch as like Pascal or Scotty, like in a lot of games. It's the Pascal and Scotty are a really special duo as far as like attacking mismatches from the wing, and they do it differently. And Emmanuel quickly is just a cheat code a little bit, in the same way that Fred Van Vliet was a cheat code for a long time, and that like He's willing to set a good screen and he can like rain hellfire while in motion. That's a very good combination. You know, um, Phoenix plays E says that little RJ and IQ inverted pick and roll gave me heavy Lowry and Butler vibes. We also got an Emmanuel quickly inverted pick and roll with him and RJ and Emmanuel actually cashed a triple off of that. And so because they brought two to the ball on RJ because RJ has been so goddamn good lately. Um, it's there's a lot to glean. There's a like you can get stuff from IQ as a screener, and they haven't gotten a lot of stuff with the chin action stuff, like out of the Princeton offense, not yet. I haven't been able to make mutton chop jokes, not really. But yeah, I mean the first basket of the game was a flex action with IQ as a screener. Pascal came around the baseline off the flex screen, post entry from Scotty to Pascal. Pascal made a layup. Great, perfect. Um, Love to see that. IQ has a ton, a ton, 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 ton of utility. I know IQ, I think, has maybe underperformed some of the scoring stuff that people expected coming in. I think I think people probably expected him to go north of 20, like average. But here's the thing, man. Like RJ gets 23. Pascal gets 25. Scotty gets 26. Gary scores 14, including a huge three, a couple of them late. And Dennis, I I didn't think was he was no slouch either. Like he had ten and six off the bench. He shot, you know, he shot fifty percent from the field again. It's they got guys who can score. They're deep. The offense looks awesome, man. Like, and that's also that makes me a little bit like I would like Siakam is making a really compelling case to re-sign from the Raptors' point of view. Because Pascal would sign that deal. That's the reporting around it. That's what everyone's hearing. 
he would sign the max extension. Pascal allows a lot of these guys to thrive the same way that Scotty does. And like you remove Pascal from this equation, the offensive stuff does not get easier. I don't care who's coming back. Pascal is like, he fits tremendously well right now. This is eighth game in a row where he has yet to, he hasn't shot under 54% from the field in eight games. He just like, and over, he's, his true shooting percentage is at 60%. He's efficient as hell. You know, there's like, it looks good, man. They had to be better. Like, and just full stop. If Jakob is here, they win this game. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the thing. Top Shot Tesla with a $5 donation. Thank you very much. Quote, for the whiteboard fund. Very good. A recap of Darko's presser. Quote, it's a complete crap. Scotty Barnes finished it off with a Darko laser eyes desk. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the donation. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll have a whiteboard at some point. Or I'll steal, you know, I'm going to hang out with Blake soon. I'll steal his or something. He's not using it. What does he need it for? Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, P asks, do you think it's ultimately max or nothing with Pascal? In the, in season, yes. Yes, for sure. Pascal in season, it's max or nothing. That's what it is. So, because what, what is his upside to taking something less than a max before he goes to free agency? It could be that Pascal goes to free agency and no team wants to pony up. That could happen. Possibility. Things can always happen. But Pascal certainly wants to see that out, right? He wants to test that. And if he doesn't have to test it, if Toronto just says, take it, here's the money, uh, then he's, he would take it. But the Raptors aren't going to do that either because the Raptors... They want flexibility. We're going to see what happens prior to the trade deadline. If they if they think they can have their cake and eat it too, that's the job. That's Masai's job, right? Masai and Bobby, their job is to know whether a guy is going to come back or not. They thought they had it with Fred. They were wrong. They obviously talked to OG. OG told them what his intentions were most likely going to be in free agency. They traded OG because they they probably said like. We're not getting this guy back if we let him go out into free agency. So it's up to them to know, like, can we keep Pascal if he goes to market? And I guess we'll see. But there's basically, like, the Raptors probably feel, if you want to do the read tea leaves or based on what a person hears or anything like that, that they can try and shop Pascal while also being able to, if everything, if nothing materializes, that they can bring him back. Michael Austin says, when do you think the narrative around Siakam's shooting shifts from his early struggles to him hitting a stride more recently? Like, what more does he need to do? I don't know. Maybe if people listen to this, they'll know more stuff. Typically, like, th this podcast is pretty good at keeping up with trends, play style trends and stuff like that. We've been up on the Pascal stuff for quite some time. Um, I think that Pascal, at this point, he's probably close to 30% from downtown, 60% true shooting. The efficiency has been truly remarkable. The jump shot has come around. Like, when I looked at that, 
when I, in the middle of his, well, actually, I wrote the piece basically at the end of his big slump, the five for 52 three-point shooting stretch. And I looked at every single since, you know, he started shooting threes effectively 2018. I looked at every single 15 game piece. Okay. What, what is Pascal's high watermark? What is his low watermark? Like how bad of stretches has Pascal had? And he had the worst 15 game stretch of his life. Based on what I'm seeing, Pascal has just had the best 15 game shooting stretch of his life from three. Go figure. So, uh go figure he just he has had both in the same season that's crazy that isn't the norm typically guys are a little bit more stable than that but it, it wouldn't surprise me if pascal finishes this season at like 32 33 percent it would probably surprise me at this point if he finished the season shooting less than 38 30 percent from three he's at 31 percent now certainly different than when it was sitting at 18 and uh, yeah, KB says Pascal's been taking a lot more corner threes and a lot less above the break ones recently. That's an important factor, of course. Pascal has always done a lot better from the corner, as a lot of shooters do. That's what makes Scotty so special as a shooter, because Scotty is just banging above the break triples, which is really cool and really great and provides a unique style of spacing and makes him a more dangerous shooter from like three than Pascal is, certainly. Even better than like Pascal's best year, 2019-20, where Pascal was like banging above the break triples off the bounce. Cool, but like Scotty, the step he's made is historically like it's a historic step relative to where he was and where he's been. Um, getting Pascal more corner three looks is important, of course, but also he's been hitting more above the break threes too. And it's all just been trending in a really, really positive direction. Um, party animal says, can this offense survive without Pascal? They look good right now. Yeah. They've been one of the best half court offenses and offenses in the NBA over the past month of basketball. And that that's before the trade. And the biggest motivators of that success are Pascal and Scotty. And I, they're playing really good basketball right now. You wish it was, you know, four and one since the trade instead of three and two. Three and two doesn't seem to perfectly communicate just how good they've been playing, especially when they just get shellacked by the referees in this kind of game. But they're playing good, man. I kind of want to focus on RJ. Please and thank you. Uh, he was really quiet down the stretch. I commend him for that. Because the reason why RJ, who is one of three from downtown tonight, this is, to me, huge. He had a big, big game, huge game. And he prior to this, he was 10 of 19 from downtown with the Raptors. That isn't real. That's not real. He's not going to do that. He's not that level of shooter. One of three is closer to what we can expect from him over a long stretch, right? But he's 10 of 13. He's incredible. He's not. That means he's 9 of 10 inside the arc in this game with 10 boards and 5 assists. If anybody wants like a really good breakdown on RJ's game, you can go to raptorsrepub.com. I wrote a big piece on it. But the crux of it is that RJ is taking the drives before him that are typically allowed by the Raptors screening and the defense is bending for Pascal and for Scotty. And RJ, I think, has done a tremendous job of seeing gaps that he hasn't typically seen. 
while with the Knicks, seeing gaps that he hasn't typically seen like over the course of his career. And he's taking those, punching through them. And for a guy who has been by the numbers, underperforming and below average at the rim, short mid-range, long mid-range, and from three his whole career, you look at his skill set and you say, at least the rim finishing, you look at his strength, you look at his ability with his left hand, and you say, it doesn't make sense that he's underperforming. Then you look and you say, contextually, the Raptors might be able to do something here. This is part of the motivation for the trade, right? The Raptors were bigger believers in RJ than the Knicks were, than many teams were. And so not only are do they think like we're getting Emmanuel quickly, who is the guard of the future and pairs extremely well with Scotty, but we're getting RJ Barrett, who we think contextually we can help his game, and he can kind of get a new start in Toronto, which also happens to be home. A lot of things came together in that trade, and they're just, he's been fascinating since then. No frills. Like he had a couple like, you know, let's say like bullshit shots in this game, like spinning to like 13 feet over Austin Reeves and like just hitting a push shot. That's a bad shot. And he doesn't hit those that often. I've looked at all the numbers. I know I've watched a lot of like his floaters and like push shots. It doesn't always go in like that. In this game it did. But most importantly, he's getting all the way to the rim. He will keep a live dribble that allows him to play make. He will keep a live dribble that allows him to get all the way to the rim. And a really like unique little thing on the Knicks, Julius Randle is there, Jalen Brunson is there, and RJ Barrett are there. These are three huge usage players who all want to try and just abuse the left side of the glass. They want to get there. Teams load up for that. Now, he comes over to a team that the only other lefty is Thaddeus Young. The lanes on the court are always changing and they change according to play style and they change according to scheme and they change according to the skill sets on the other team. For Scotty and Pascal, who achieve things in vastly different ways from one another, but also vastly different ways from RJ, RJ is counterculture to what those guys do. And he's an inherent change of pace, an automatic change of pace to the way that the defense has been shifting all game. He's punching with the left. And teams that play the Raptors are not typically expecting that. It's different than Quickly. It's different than Pascal. It's different than Scotty. And it's different than Dennis. And the decision-making, as RR says, from RJ has been, I think, sublime. Like, the playmaking reads have been really great. When he gets deep, he's looking for the laydown. And he can make that, like, with a live dribble, or he can do it after he's picked it up. Goes to two feet. When he goes, like, when he sees the corners open, he can hit the corner. Why? Not with his right hand, but if he's coming down, he can push past to the left side of the floor, or he can make the swing pass one-handed or two-handed to the opposite corner on the right side of the floor. There's a very natural flow to his game right now. And he's like, though the, the better angels of his nature are what he's tending to basketball-wise. He's been really impressive, and that was no different tonight. I think there was like maybe not even a single misstep. I would, I'd be, I feel like I don't want to say it. He's He's been so good. And even like nine defensive rebounds, I know the rebounding is a little bit more egalitarian on the Raptors. Like you look at this game and Scotty has three. Scotty's been averaging like, three rebounds since the trade the 
it needs to be more from Scotty. Yes, but it does speak to the fact that like the Raptors getting more rebounding from everywhere. More guys are crashing the glass. More guys are like that allows guys to be a little bit, little bit more advantageous, knowing more guys are going back. If you want to leak out, start early offense. RJ being able to go back and collect nine defensive rebounds, super big deal. If you look at the contested rebound rate on NBA.com, I'm sure it's not that high, but in this game, it's important. It allows him to start the break. And like when he has those two plays back to back, where he has an empty side pick and roll, right? And then Gary makes that 45 cut coming from the opposite side. He hits him. Gary makes the floater. Great play. Half court offense. Perfect. The next time he comes down the floor, Gary's on the right side of the court. RJ is seeing the lanes develop in transition. Live dribble, skip over Tim, bangs the triple. Big deal. Huge deal. It's just like you look at this Raptors team and like, yeah, Jonte did not have his best game. I thought Chris Boucher, from a decision-making point of view, I thought had a really, really poor game. Uh, was disappointed with Chris's play tonight, but you win some, you lose some. He's been pretty great lately anyway. But Gary gives you 14. Dennis gives you 10. These guys have really provided a lot, like a lot, a lot off the bench. The bench scoring has been much better. The flow has been much better. It looks like they have a, like a super strong top seven. And if Gary is on, they have a super, super strong top eight. It's They've played some good hoops lately, man. That's kind of what it is. That's what I'm impressed with. You know, Emmanuel quickly, four of six from downtown in this game, 21 points, five assists. He fouled out. So did Scotty, technically, I think. But Scotty plays 40 in this game. And quickly, you want to see more than 26 minutes. He is like... In a game like this, and in some of these games, just because of the disparity between the Raptors' wings and their guards, sometimes quickly is getting stuck on players, and he is fouling a little bit more often because he's not getting scram switch necessarily. And he's also, you know, he's not... Ne there are some matchups that he can't contend with physically. That's, that's kind of how it is. And so he's fouling a little bit more often. He's also like a super, super impressive off-ball defender but that activity does make him a little bit more, have more proclivity towards fouls. Um, yeah. Uh, Thanison Balachandron says, was I tripping or did no one touch Reeves when he got his last foul call? The one where he took a midi. I did not think that one was a foul. Like you could say like Thad was trying to slide with him and they got the bump. Like Reeves had the forearm tucked, had it on Thad's like hip slash whatever the hell lat this is called had the little shove, went back into space, had the push shot. And I looked at that, and I thought that Thad had pretty good compete. Didn't necessarily, like, beat him, beat him to the spot. But I hate how Austin Reeves is typically refed. I don't like the foul baiting of his game. And that's kind of just, like, he got one. But I that probably should have been a no call. I think Pascal had, like, the exact same play earlier in the game, just lower leverage and it was what on Torian Prince it's just like <laughs> I don't know man yeah Finn Murray this is cool says love the podcast Samson listening in from Scotland on my way to work getting the chance to catch the live pod with the west coast late start that's cool man um that's that's really cool thanks for listening um 
I, I can see like the analytics and see all the different people listening from around the world, but cool that you commented. Um, it's, I love basketball being a global game. Amit Kumar says, I am pissed. Samson. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was pretty disappointed after this game too. The first, I think 12 minutes of the podcast was just talking about refs. Um, them as the breaks. C4C says, RR reaching worldwide. I love that. I'm pretty sure Raptors Republic is the biggest Raptors website in the world. Like, like there, there's no shot that Raptors Republic has more traffic than like Sportsnet, obviously. But as far as like just a Raptors thing, I think Raptors is like Raptors Republic is the spot. There's the most people in the media room for Raptors Republic as well. We try and do our best. It's a good website. I'm glad it's global. Oh, tough game, man. People want me to react to the Darko thing. Raiden Link says he's watching from Hong Kong. Hell yeah. Very cool. Um, I I don't want people to start saying they're from places that they're not from, though. I'm just like, people are going to be like, yeah, I'm like from Zambia and stuff like that. I don't know. People might be just trying to, you know, pull my chain or something like that. Kayla Gray posted it. Okay. I'll watch it and I'll play it into the... I'll play it into the the mic for everybody so we can all listen together. And that's what it's going to be. I'm not going to put it on screen or anything, but yeah. Okay. Darko is a real one. All right. We'll let this load. smokes when i was reading the quotes in chat i've spoken to darko you know i've had a conversations with him i've sat across from him many times and uh i was not reading it with that in my mind when i was thinking how did darko sound when he said that i was like i didn't expect that he also kind of started like low-key he's cutting cutting a trailer for like scotty barnes all-star announcement which should happen and i hope does happen um, but like they need to clip that the Raptors because having him like screaming, like Scotty Barnes is an all-star. He's the like face of the league in the future. It's pretty good. If they're trying to make content out of that, you know, 
But he's right. Like what he said, they go to the review, they see what they want to see, kind of appeals to what I said at the start of the podcast, where I said, you can call almost anything on any given play. The refs have to be responsible, not just in like legislating the game and calling it to the letter of the law, but calling the pace of the game, the expected physicality, and applying that even-handedly. I don't think it was applied even-handedly, and Darko obviously does not think so. He's getting fined. He's getting, <laughs> he's getting fined. I don't think he's going to have to pay that, but somebody's paying that. The Lakers broadcast was agreeing that it was BS2. Yeah, I watched um, I watched the Lakers broadcast. The biggest thing I take away from them is that they didn't... <laughs> That was a that's a tough broadcast to watch. I felt like they called guys the wrong name all night, even on their own team. Like they just didn't know who guys were. They knew who LeBron and AD were, and <laughs> everyone else. It felt like they didn't know. Um, not much in the way of like insight or analysis. I didn't find it's just like guys talking, which that's like the original podcast is like broadcasts, you know. Like, especially baseball broadcasts. It's just two guys hanging out was, like, the genesis of it. But, yeah. Uh, Coco says Masai should cover the fine. I There will be, like, a pool. The crazy thing is, right, is, like, everyone's, like, Masai is, like, the, the big mastermind. The guy who makes the most money in that room. Well, actually, mm, I don't know about Masai's, like, ownership stake or whatever the hell is involved with that. Um, Top Shot Tesla says Teddy Rogers should cover the fine. Yeah, that'd be funny, too. Um, I just hope Darko doesn't have to pay for it. Them's the breaks. Um, Andrew L says typical Lakers broadcast. RR says terrible broadcast. Joseph Cassidy says I'll pitch in for that fine. Don't give too much, okay? They they make a lot of money. <laughs> it won't be Darko, but uh, don't start the GoFundMe. Don't worry about that. Just um, the next time you want to tweet fire Darko, holster that bad boy. That's that's the payment you can offer up. ND says Twitter having fun tonight. I imagine they are. Um, okay. Top Shot Tesla gives $5. Thank you very much. And says, if you don't think independent media is important, just people went down with Alex Wong on the Raptors show. Thanks for the effort as always, Samson. Independent media is incredibly important. There's a lot less of it uh, regarding or revolving around the Raptors than a lot of other teams. Um, just because of kind of the the duopoly in Canada, obviously. And uh, it is like a bunch of fledgling attempts at like trying to make money or support people who are trying to work. And there's like two avenues basically to make money doing this is it's been like work for TSN or Sportsnet. And that's a tough position for a market as big as Toronto that should have like so much important coverage like Toronto. And, you know, that's why Raptors Republic, it went to a subscriber, like a subscription model, because we have to appeal to people like, hey, it's, uh, you know, we're trying to support people. Um, Alex was not let go. Alex wasn't let go for anybody who thinks that as far as I understand it. Alex left the Raptors show, and I can't comment on anything more than that, but I'll say that Alex and Will 
created something like extremely special. And I think people felt really represented by what they did for the show. And I think that I enjoyed being on that show. I imagine I'll still be on it going forward. And Alex was the producer. Alex reaches out. Alex is like extremely prepared. Alex does such a fantastic job of that. And I think the show will miss him tremendously. And I think that's something that Blake and Will have expressed and will continue to express, you know, uh, he seems like the Will and Alex dynamic is part of the fabric of Raptors fandom. And so to lose that is uh, disappointing for fans. I was like, I really loved the Raptors Reasonable, Reasonablest podcast with Blake and Eric. I was disappointed when it started. That's why I did a Raptors Reasonablest episode in the summer where I brought Blake and Eric on. Um, I, for a long time, really loved like Jalen and Jacoby on Grantland and I liked a lot of the Grantland stuff and a lot of that stuff ended right in an economy that is continuously trying not to pay people the things you like aren't going to stick around that's that's what's happening there's there in every medium there is brain drain and there's loss of talent because not enough people get paid well and every single every single company is trying to like not support people and they think they can get away with it forever and that's why like raptors republic does what it does we wanted to appeal straight to the audience to say like do you guys value what we do do we do you support what we do and are you willing to pay for that myself i pay for patrons i pay for access i pay subscriptions for stuff that i like because i think that's the most tangible thing i can do that's why i do it and when we announced the subscription model for rr because we think rr is worth it people were upset uh and like i understand you want free stuff to be free but there is <laughs> there is a burden as a consumer not to just consume not to just eat your content, not just to like yum, 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 yum. That's, you have, as someone who enjoys something, if you enjoy someone's something, whatever it is, they need support. And if you think they don't tangibly get it and you can offer it and you have the means, it's really important. That's something I live by myself as a consumer. Coco says everything is relational. It certainly is. We need more significant like we need more labor representation everywhere we need more labor power it's how you create change it's one of the most important parts of like any momentum in the 20th century was unions and stuff like that i know there's probably people who don't like unions in chat i'm really alienating some people right now but unions don't just operate as like helping elevate wages everywhere and they are relational to other stuff and like strikes are relational to other stuff but they also they allow you to move as one they allow you more power in your workplace and they allow more power to other workplaces and all that kind of stuff and people being devalued people not doing things that you really like anymore is of course of course of course of course tied to people trying to pay people less and devaluing people and I know everyone loves their slop and loves their content and all that kind of stuff. Um, but 
you have to be mindful. If you like people doing stuff, then that's kind of what it is. Alvin NG says unions make workers lazy. Maybe. I've never looked at that empirical evidence. I don't, uh, I haven't looked at the um, efficiency numbers recently for unions. I don't know what union workers are shoot their true shooting percentage from the floor, but I've talked enough about my pro labor stuff, which I do every once in a while, of course. Um, yeah. Ali does says Ben Taylor belongs to a union. He certainly does. And I support his right as a worker and I support, uh, the NBA's right to perhaps look at this kind of stuff with their overhead to analyze what he's done wrong, to analyze what his crews do wrong, and to hopefully be able to make decisions going forward about how many games they get or whatever else. Like under the framework of that, there there are downsides to being by all accounts, like a really bad ref on the night. Um, Top Shot Tesla says, if you love slash hate union, smash the like. Certainly go nuts, everybody. Um, Phoenix Plays E says, you think the last two minutes going to be crazy? I don't think it will. It's kind of like what what Darko said and what I said at the start is that um, they see what they want to see because there's a foul on most plays. So that's... uh, you can call a foul in most plays. Um, we have some donations that I have to read off from Dale, just $10. Thank you very much, Dale. Um, and then also from Owen Tong, $20. Thank you very much. Thanks for what you do. I like how you try to teach us about the X's and O's. Keep it up, dude. Yeah, I try. I'll try like at least once every game to see a play that I'm liking and uh, to kind of draw it up just so we can talk about what made the play work and why it's... um. Uh, why it's been good. Oh, okay. The Thad play. Yeah, that's not a foul. That's kind of it. Do we want to talk about basketball? Same way I have a basketball question. I know I like to everybody who's hates that I did a union rant, my apologies, because whether you agree or not, this probably isn't what you signed up for. You want to hear basketball, but we talked basketball for most of it. Um, yeah, Alex, just going to do other stuff, presumably. Um, and he has the cape of Alex Wong and has the capability to do very many things as a tremendously talented writer, a tremendously talented talker, a tremendously talented producer, a guy who does like a whole smoke of stuff. He will go and do a bunch of things, um, at, at his own pace and at his leisure. Um, Alvin NG donates $7. Thank you very, very much. And Phoenix Play has a $10 donation, says predictions for the Clippers game and what you think is the most intriguing aspect of that game is going to be. That is a really, really great question. Um, I'll say this. Wings. Wings is, wings is the biggest thing. It will also come down to, to some degree, I expect, that front court thing again. The Raptors obviously had a whole whack of trouble with Anthony Davis. Zubats is not Anthony Davis, but I think that the same way that the Raptors had a stretch where they struggled with Demonis Sabonis, clearing out space, carving up for offensive rebounds, Zubats could also kind of undo them on the inside for stretches in time. And that's something to pay attention to. I think the Raptors have... They have a way 
to really solve a lot of the hardened stuff in the same way that they solved a lot of the hardened stuff in the playoffs against the 76ers. What the Raptors did was they switched liberally, liberally on Harden so that what they try and make Harden do is move the ball off and then you help off of Harden. Why do you help off of Harden? Because he is a catch and hold player. He deserves to be a catch and hold player a lot of the time because he can pick up wherever he wants and create an advantage. But that catch and hold aspect, the thing that allowed the Raptors to get back into the series against the 76ers after going down 3-0 was the fact that instead of overloading on Harden and making the ball spray out to a guy like Tyrese Maxey, who is definitely not a catch and hold player, would attack with advantage, would carry advantage. They didn't overload on Harden, would help off of Harden and made him the guy for catch and hold. We'll see what happens. I think Harden is one of like the linchpins, obviously, of what the Clippers do. But the Raptors, I think, with their switchability, with their size all over the floor to recover, they might have a chance to give James an awkward game if he's not fully on it. Of course, what James can do is like flatten things out and score the hell out of the ball. We'll see. And then, of course, there's the Paul George aspect. There's the Kawhi Leonard aspect. And Kawhi has been like one of the best players some people are saying he's been the best player in the NBA over the last month or so. I guess we'll see. I am very, very interested to see what happens with that. Um, I there's there's so many matchups in that game that you really can't say exactly how it's going to happen because I thought that the Raptors were going to start Dennis tonight and they started Thaddeus Young. So from opening tip, I don't even know. Who's going to who's going to be in the starting lineup tomorrow? I don't know what it's going to look like, and there's so many different permutations to what the Clippers do. Who knows? Uh, Getty D or Jetty D, sorry if it's the wrong pronunciation. Says more union rants, please. Uh, that one was fairly fairly lengthy. I'll leave it at that for now. Um, Raptors fan says, uh, who has a better game tomorrow, Norm or Gary? Maybe Norm, because Norm can attack a lot of the things that the Raptors try to avoid defensively. Um, and Gary, he might struggle depending on who his matchup is. And Norm, I've been saying it for a long time, that is a trade that I don't think the Raptors want. Norm, if he had been involved in this offense... Norm is a guy who could really play next to Scotty. Norm is a guy who could really play next to Pascal. Norm is a guy who has just been hovering around like 60% true shooting on a bunch of scoring off the bench for like five years. He's been one of the best bench scorers in the NBA, just full stop. And every single time, every single season, you look at the stat line, you're like, he shoots the hell out of the three. He can punch gaps. He can get to the rim. He's not much of a playmaker. He he has a more varied skill tree or play type tree than Gary does. And I think Norm probably has a better game than Gary. Um, but yeah, NBA YouTube already has the 100K halftime shot highlight posted. They're trying to bury the game. That was cool. I was watching that because I'm watching a stream, right? And so I have the arena feed. And I seen this guy bang a half court shot. He won 100K. Dagum. Pretty cool. 
Really happy about that. Oh, okay. I feel like we can wind this thing down. 131 to 132. I'll give everybody the big numbers before we get out of here. And the big numbers, I mean, 13 free throws for the Raptors, 36 for the Lakers, and the Raptors were very, very aggressive going downhill. And I think that is a huge disparity that didn't reflect the game that I saw in front of me. You get 23 points, 5 assists, and 10 rebounds from R.J. Barrett. You get 25 points, 3 assists, and 4 rebounds from Pascal Siakam. You get 10 points, 3 steals, 4 assists, and 5 rebounds from Thad. You get 26 points, 6 assists, and 3 rebounds from Scotty. 21 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists from Quickly. Gary gives you 14. Dennis gives you 10 and 6. They came out and they played, man. They really did their best. Uh, Z Shrugs123 says no Darko clip. We we watched it already. So, yep. To the people listening on the podcast, I know this one was less linear than even the less linear stuff. Um, Richard Pilsky says Scotty should have been the story. He should have been, but I'll tell you this much. I'll tell you this much. They're going to cut a sick all-star promo or all-star announcement clip with that quote that Darko gave. So, hell yeah, Darko. He went he he went to task for his guy. Um his guys. So, yeah. Uh you know, Thanison says uh even all the general NBA Twitter accounts were taking our side. Yeah. Nobody is the most people are not primed to like the Lakers to begin with because of Lakers exceptionalism, obviously, but also anybody watching that game is kind of raising their eyebrows like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Um, C4C says, I hope that helps Scotty get to the all-star game. And Coco says, I respect him standing up for Scotty. I think that Scotty's going to be there, man. If he's not there and they have like Jalen Brown or something or Derek White, that's tough, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Phoenix plays E says we got three weeks until we find out who the reserves are. I guess we'll see. Um, chat, thank you for being active. Uh, we had like almost 400 people in here at one point, I think. Uh, I hope, I don't know what the likes are right now, but like the video on your way out. It helps it suggest it to other people. And on top of that, uh, thanks to everybody for hopping in. 400 is like stupid at 2 a.m. or 1.30 a.m., whatever it was. Even 2.30 now, it's 2.30 a.m., guys. Thanks for hanging out with me. It's been a blast. Um, I, I've enjoyed this immensely. It's a lot easier and more fun to kind of do these late game podcasts when there's the chat and everybody to talk to. And also, can I just say, we, we've been in here doing these. I've missed a couple games <laughs> for health reasons. I, I, I'm not quite quitting or anything like that, but... I'm seeing so many familiar faces in the chat every game. You guys are always like so insightful and, and kind and you're here after every game. So it's a cool thing to be able to have like that, that community aspect. So um, thank you to every for everybody for hopping in. It's, it's cool to be able to talk hoops um, as part of my job and all that kind of stuff. And you guys uh, make it way easier to do this. Raptors fan says not all of us are East Coast. I suppose that's true. 
we also have people from scotland and hong kong so uh god bless um to podcast listeners enjoy this one on your walk in the morning and hopefully you're pro union so i don't upset you too much and if you aren't tough uh finn murray uh from scotland uh see you post clippers all right everybody thanks for tuning in and uh whether you got into this in the morning or at night have a blessed day and goodbye